0: Welcome to Saturday Night at the Movies, the podcast that celebrates classic, current, and cult films. I'm your host, Steve Rubin. Our producer is Ben Shrewsbury. Our signature theme was composed by Greg Lehrhoff. Here it's always Saturday night, and tonight we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of Hallmark's Silent Night, a true World War II drama I produced with my good friend, military technical advisor Rory Elward, who's now also a screenwriter, producer, director, and former studio executive, Steve Hewitt, who I believe is running a Bed and Breakfast down in Costa Rica, and the film which co-starred actor Romano Orzari, who's with us today. As we celebrate the holidays and the beginning of a new year, let's get together with Romano and Rory and share our wonderful memories of this classic Christmas film. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening,
1: Steve. Great to see you. Rory, also great to see you, too. I don't know if uh, they're going to see us. Salute. <laughs> Cheers.
0: So we um, have to distinguish between Rory and Romano. So, Romano, you should do the whole podcast with this thick Italian accent. Is that right? Okay.
1: <laughs> Some <laughs> out of you. <laughs> hey, hold on. Where's my pizza pie? <laughs> oh, boy. I'm going to get in trouble for that. <laughs>
0: So basically, guys, first of all, happy holidays. And to all of our listeners, this is our special holiday show. And I can't think of a better topic than to jump into Silent Night. But before we get into that, I, this is a World War II drama. And we're all baby boomers from the post World War II era. But I was going to ask both of you if you had a World War II connection uh, from parents or grandparents. What about you, Rory?
2: Uh, my uh, my uncle Jack, John Hallenbeck, is uh, my my mother's brother, and he got drafted in 1944 and ended up in the 110th Engineers, which was part of the 7th Infantry Division, and landed on Okinawa in 1945.
0: And, and so. came out okay?
2: Uh, he was wounded. He was decorated for uh, valor for treating other wounded under fire, and then he went on to a, a long career in the white plains fire department where he retired as a captain and uh we lost him some years back to cancer but um he's always uh you know he's he's the guy i think of and and in fact um his 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 best pal is a guy named johnny simone so there's a there's a there's a line in uh silent night that uh that pays tribute to uh to johnny simone who my brother and i always heard about but never actually met (laughs)
0: What about you, Romano? Uh,
1: well, first of all, I'm a Gen Xer. Okay, let's get that straight.
0: Oh, sorry. about <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> and I was a singer in a punk band. Okay, <laughs> just putting it out there. Um, just well, don't, just I mean,
0: don't, just don't say "Hey, Boomer."
1: Right. <laughs> right exactly. Um. I mean, the direct connection is definitely my father, but I mean, my uncles in Rhode Island. They, uh, they, my uncle Mario. He was in, uh, he was in uh, the European theater. He was in the U.S. Army. Um, I think he, my uncle Tommy. And then, uh, uh, but my dad was um, unbeknownst to them at the time. What uh, they didn't know each other. But my dad was. Uh, was a partisan, uh, partigiano in uh, Northern Italy. And uh, he was basically, he and his group were connected to uh, a British mil- um, unit that was behind enemy lines. And uh, basically together they, uh, you know, they figured, uh, they configured how to uh, mess up uh, not one but two uh, dictators. <laughs> um, and, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my dad, uh, it was, I mean, also... What? Another gentleman by the name Arturo uh, in uh, New York City, who was sort of like a second dad to me, he was also in uh, the US Army and he was in Europe. And uh, he, um, when he passed away, we didn't even know, but he had like a Purple Heart, I think it was, or a Medal of Honor. And no one ever knew, ever knew about some of the heroics that he did. He was in the, I think he may have been actually in the Battle of the Bulge. Because when we were doing Silent Night, I kind of, I was, I dedicated myself to, to basically my performance, to my father and to Arturo and my father, Steve, who shares your name, Steve Stefano. He was, uh, you know, in the, in the North of Italy. And uh, I believe, where was Arturo? I think Arturo was in the bulge. I'm not sure, but trying to get stories out of these guys was like a lot easier to get water from a stone. It was really, really difficult. Uh, uh, but I managed to get a couple of stories out of my dad and a couple of stories out of Arturo and they were pretty brutal. Um,
0: the guy, and I the could guys see- who, The guys who actually saw combat are the toughest to get, get to because it, they saw- It's so
1: hard. You. I mean, I, my father, I remember him telling me, I'll never forget the sound of German bullets. And I was like, yeah, what? And he goes, yeah, they have a specific whistle. And I was like, a specific whistle? he goes well, what do you think we did in the war <laughs> he's like <laughs> trying to kill each other <laughs> he's like you know yeah bullets were passing by my ear you know and, and i was like holy i was like oh my gosh man that's just i i can't imagine anything i just can't even imagine i can't it's it's just like that's pretty intense and yeah to try to get a story out of them was so so difficult but uh it was there was a nice I mean, I could see now many years later, you know, now that I'm older myself and a dad myself, I could see the looks in their faces. I remember certain looks in their, in their certain expressions and certain just stare in their eyes that I was like, oh, I think I know where that came from, you know? And it's, uh, it's pretty intense, but, uh, my father did tell me, uh, you know, a good story in the sense that after the war was over, he was, um, You know, Italy was completely disheveled. It was completely flattened out. And he was looking for a job. And the the former British uh, commandant uh, saw my dad and was like, hey, Steve, you know, what are you doing? My dad was like, looking for a job. And he said, you're coming to England with me and you're going to get a job. And they brought him to northern England. uh, Rotherham uh, was the town, I believe, which is in Lancashire in, uh, in the north. And they trained him as a crane operator in a steel mine. And that's what he did. And, uh, that's, he ended up meeting my mom there in this Italian ghetto of, of immigrants that were trying to, because England was just greener pastures. There was so much industry. And I have these old photographs of my dad. It looks like old airplane hangars in the background that it was where they housed all these, uh, migrant workers, I guess, you know what I mean? And that's where my dad There was a British priest that introduced my dad to my mom. And, uh, and uh, the nice thing about that is that uh, uh, a few years later, um, the British government recognized my dad as an allied soldier, and uh, they gave him a, a veteran's pension.
0: Nice. You know, he goes, it's not
1: much, he goes, but you know what, the fact that they recognize me is, is, is what really counts. You know? what, year and did I, he
0: come, what year did he come to the States?
1: Well, they uh, he put out his application to Canada, Australia, and the United States, and Canada was the first country that responded. Got it. and um you know, my mom had her aunt who was married, her younger uh, not her aunt her younger sister who had moved to uh, montreal and they just said like you guys got to get over here because i mean it was just you know late 50s it was just rife with industry there was so much work you know and my parents took a, a boat to uh, they got to um Pier 21 in Halifax, which was the uh, Ellis Island of Canada. And from there, they, um, uh, got to Montreal, I guess by train and got to Montreal and my uncle, I believe, got my dad a job like that day, put a suitcase down. And he went to work <laughs> at that point. Yeah. It was like, you know, in those days, you got a job, you stayed put, you stayed where you were, but, uh, because my dad was supposed to get to, uh, in England, the the, 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 uh, the they were telling him, look, if you go to the United States, you're going to go to Pittsburgh, and we'll set you up with work. But if you go to Canada, you're going to go to Hamilton, because Hamilton is the Pittsburgh of Canada. Uh, it's part of the steel belt, you know, right there, uh, just above the the lake. But they're, like, almost directly in line. A little bit like Montreal and New York, actually. <laughs> they're directly in line. There but, uh, yeah. And then uh, the accident happened, which was uh, me.
0: <laughs> I was ready no. for you. I was ready for you to say the crane fell over. No, that you no. The crane. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> no, I. I was born and wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> but you know, I could have been born. I could have been a contender. I could have been born in Pittsburgh.
0: <laughs> well, we 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 love we love those stories. Those are great stories. And for the listeners, we're celebrating a movie that Rory and I produced and with Steve Hewitt. And um, it all started when a gentleman walked into my office at Showtime and said he had a story to pitch about a truce in the in the Ardennes on Christmas Eve, 1944, when German and American combat troops uh, met and a woman named Elizabeth Vinken demanded there'd be a truce. And it's Christmas Eve night and she was there with her son Fritz. And indeed, there was a truce. But I was working at Showtime at that time and Showtime insisted if they were gonna get into development on a new movie, that it had to be based on fact if it was portraying itself as a true story and having somebody say he heard was not good enough. So Rory and I did some research and we found that there was an episode, what was the name of that show, Rory? Uh, Untold, uh,
2: Unsolved Mysteries.
0: Unsolved Mysteries hosted by Robert Stack. Oh man. And uh, they did an episode where the the now adult Fritz, who was the kid, uh, hooked up with one of the soldiers that was one of the American soldiers in that camp in that cabin, and they did an episode on that. And when we got a hold of that episode, we said, "Whoa, this is going to be interesting." So we tracked we tracked Fritz Finken, who had emigrated to Canada and then to Hawaii, and was working as a baker in a honolulu uh bakery he actually owned a bakery in honolulu and we got the rights from him to his story and that was the beginning of the development period of our movie silent night and we got rory's brother roger to write the screenplay what would rory what was your first impressions of the viability of this story um, the, the, um, I mean,
2: the basic story was, you know, I mean, we, we had, we always knew it should be a Hallmark movie because it just had that, that quality, um, you know, b- before Hallmark just made like, you know, fluffy things about, you know, um uh, middle-aged women who, you know, go and have a Christmas romance. Um, but it was the, the, the there, there were not a lot of facts like we knew the story happened, we knew about Ralph Blank and we knew about Fritz and we knew about Elizabeth, but that was all we really knew about. Um, so, and even, even in digging up on the story, there wasn't, there weren't a lot of details. Like I was able to find out that they were part of an anti-tank platoon from the 8th Infantry Division, but still there was just not a lot of um, easily accessible information about it, but, but there were always the bones there for a good
1: story, so...
0: Yeah, and we knew that Elizabeth and her husband and their son had originally lived, I believe, in Aachen. Aachen. Aachen, right there on the German border. So this was like the northern end of the bulge. And um, they had a cabin they went to during the holiday times to, you know, it was kind of like their vacation, uh, uh, their timeshare, which they they had. And they got to the cabin. And uh, the the story... um, had all sorts of possibilities and uh, we were very fortunate that steve hewitt who had been the former head of production at showtime had developed a relationship with the hall uh, family which ran hallmark channel and lo and behold in the early um let's see spring April. yeah spring 2001 April. actually no it was spring 2002 yeah. Steve called me and said, you know, I've got a four picture deal to do four Christmas pictures for homie, but I only have three pictures. You got anything? <laughs> well, I,
2: I remember he uh, he had contacted you and, and um, he said, whatever happened to that Christmas drama that you had? And you said you still had it. And he said, well, send it to Hallmark. And you said... We did. They sent it back, <laughs> and then Steve said, "Well, send it to me." And then he basically walked it into Robbie Hallme,
0: and we got it. So we uh, we went into pre-production, and we it was going to be for a summer shoot. Oh boy! And obviously, there was no going to be no snow on the ground anywhere. But we decided uh, for. Uh, reasons i think the homies had a relationship with muse in uh, montreal and we decided to base up in montreal a place where there's plenty of snow normally but obviously (laughs) none in the summer
1: not in Um, august
0: (laughs) August, but but, but we 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 uh, hooked up with a wonderful director named rodney gibbons and ironically rodney and i are now partnered on a new project together he's going to come on one of our comedies we hope to get made this coming year but Rodney and uh, and Rory and I and Steve went up there and we started the casting process. Uh, Romano, do you remember that process? Do you remember about, oh, hearing boy. about the project? I
1: remember it quite well. I, I remember it quite, quite well. Um, also as an aside though, uh, didn't Ronald Reagan at the Bitburg Address, uh, didn't he mention the he story did. about the, the, the German soldiers and, and the American soldiers mm-hmm. during the Battle of the Bulge sharing a cabin or a meal or something like that on uh, Christmas Eve. uh, No, absolutely.
0: And for the listeners who don't know this, when Ronald Reagan as president went to Germany, uh, to, uh, commemorate some of the world war II events, he ended up going to the Bitburg cemetery and got really chastised because there were a number of SS officers and soldiers buried there. And, uh, it was, uh, it was an awkward situation to be in, but during his address, he indeed mentioned this story and mentioned right. the, the Christmas truce in 44 on Christmas Eve. <clears throat> I actually got a copy of his speech from the Ronald Reagan Library oh, and okay. I gave wow. it to Roger to, to take a look at. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So you you obviously got the call.
1: I am uh, trying to remember how it happened because I had known Rodney as a DP, having worked with him, I think, on other projects and uh, and I got the call from my agent at the time, or no, actually, maybe it was Rodney. I think he called me straightforward, actually. Uh, I have to credit him. I think he called me straight out and he goes, Look, I got these producers. They're going to probably think you're too old. <laughs> he goes, But you know what? I'm going to fight for you. He goes, Because I you know my excuse is basically guys went in at 19, but they came out looking like they were 90. So. <laughs> You know, <laughs> goes, so it doesn't matter and I was you know I, I was 38 way too old to be pl- you know playing private Jimmy Rossi I think uh, and, and but um I remember I was like oh man okay Rodney's going to bat for me he's directing directing this picture I cannot make him look bad you know I was just <laughs> like I cannot do that to the guy uh, he's giving me this opportunity you know and, and I you know from what I read. I remember the. I had like it was one of the biggest auditions because there were like 16 pages. (laughs) There was so many pages to, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta be off book. I gotta be off book. I gotta memorize these things. I actually even knew some of the other lines of the other actors because when we were in the room with the other actors, one guy dropped his lines, and I was like, I was whispering it to him, and he's like, (laughs) and he went ahead and did it, but it was pretty.
0: Well, you know, your, but, your character was a very important character. I think, um, you know, uh, the sergeant of the group played by Al Goulem, uh, very good uh, French Canadian actor. Uh, he's kind of the quiet type; doesn't do a lot of dialogue. You were kind of like the voice of the Americans.
1: It, no, thank you. That's that's a nice compliment. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, he was such a wild character, and then you know getting to meet you guys and getting to work with Rory on background on military background. And he uh, come, you know, he said, you got to read some Stephen Ambrose, you know, and because those were citizen soldiers, these were every regular guys, you know, what is it? Three or correct me if I'm wrong here, but like three months of boot camp, and here you go, here's an M1 Garand, go fight. You know what I mean? There was no, you know, special forces. There was no like, you know, intense military training. These guys just, they were everyday, Joe's you know and then they just had to go and um it, he was such uh, I just found him to be such an enigmatic character and in the audition process I remember I mean I was there for two hours I was there for two hours I was told by who was the casting director at the time one of the guys I think Aldo Aldo Torelli may have been and Bruno Rosato I think were the two guys and their assistant Mike Migliara I think I think it was an old, I, it doesn't exist anymore. I think it was Montreal Casting. Anyway, they, uh, I remember doing the audition and just walking out and, you know, he was like, stick around, don't leave. Yeah. You know? And then I was like, all right, fine. You know, and then like five minutes later, he came out with like more pages. He goes, all right, here's another scene, five pages. And I was like, are you kidding me? Well, there was, <laughs> was there, like, there was, it
2: was a behind-the-scenes debate because, um, you know, as as the military advisor, my my position was they were all young guys, and we had another young guy, and I wish I could remember his name. He ended up playing you as a young man in the in the frame story. I can't think of his name. I tried looking it up. I can't find him. But he, um, I thought, well, we should have a younger guy, you know and um
1: makes and, sense i mean
2: yeah and 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 everyone was like no we want we want romano I was like fine bring fine i bring think
0: back. i think his name was <laughs> i think it was jean jo- paulo venuto was that that guy.
2: was him jean paulo right. um who was, who was a, a wonderful actor and i thought okay well we'll have this you know to show how young guys were but i was i was very much overruled in the casting process but on the, but on the other hand um there was there was a guy that that Irene and 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 uh, and some of the Canadian producers wanted um, to be the sergeant because he looked he looked like a Mountie. I mean he was hi. I'm the I'm the sergeant. How are you? <laughs> and I and I and I watched uh, Al Goulem's audition. I thought that guy looks like a sergeant, you know. And, and and at the time I I I'd been in the army for like you know 15 years. So I was like I know what sergeants look like. That guy's right. a sergeant.
1: <laughs> That's right. Now Al had a very uh, Al Al Gallem had a very quiet, like his his his. How can I put it? It was intense. He he had this gravity, this gravitas to him that just, which was a great balance to my kooky character that was like you know, could be all over the place, but you know, classic New York Italian guy you know out of Brooklyn. But
2: no, you you guys, you it was guys a great balance together.
1: there. I think with the entire cast, actually, if you think about it, because even like. uh, uh I, I was actually bunking. He offered. Um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, Klosterman. Um, yeah, the character. Martin, oh, Martin Newfeld. Martin Newfeld. That's it. Um, he lived nearby at a loft, uh, nearby to the studio, Mel's studio. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, he said, you know, would you rather stay here so you don't have to do the the half hour, you know back well it would be an hour and 15 minutes back and forth drive and if you get stuck yeah. in traffic da, 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 just clear your mind stay here you i got i got the space he had like a two thousand square foot loft and he was by himself in there and i literally would bike to the studio i would really? bike to the st- except for rainy days i'd be like yeah okay i'll get i'll take the pickup <laughs> you well, know so what you i mean did, but it-
0: you did room with him
1: so I, I stayed with him, yeah, and I literally like it was like a fifteen, maybe yeah, fifteen minute bike ride over to the studio, and it was it was fantastic, you know, and and that helped immensely to stay uh, with you know focused. But also, I want to give a shout out to you, to you guys and to Rodney for really helping us, the actors. In uh, you guys did something so integral, so important that is so rarely done in filmmaking, is that we shot. Like ninety percent of it in continuity as the script was written, and having you know, and obviously our star, Linda Hamilton, uh you know, to have her, all of us gel in that way. it really, and it's so rarely does these kind of things happen on film sets on film sets for that matter. but what happened by doing that is like we became like a theatrical troupe, like we became brothers and sisters, you know, we became. We became grunts, in, in 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 the foxhole. You know what I mean. Like we became, you know, this trust was built, mm-hmm. and and uh, by design because thanks to you guys, to the filmmaker, you know, the, the filmmakers. You I mean, when I say filmmakers, I mean you, Rory, Steve, Hewitt. Big hugs out there. I, uh, I
2: think um, I think it's it's oh, good to point out about Linda uh, because um, I had actually worked with Linda before. On a, on a movie called Dante's Peak. I was the National Guard advisor and I didn't know her or anything like that. But um, we're, we're on set one day on Dante's Peak and I brought like 20 real National Guardsmen to play the National Guard in this final scene we're shooting at Universal Studios. And it was Linda's 40th birthday. And she, of course they have a birthday cake you know, during lunch and then the crew has to go back and my guys are waiting for their call and Linda is not on right away. So she was there with her assistant slash stand-in and they had this birthday cake. And instead of like going back to her trailer, Linda cut a piece of cake for every one of my soldiers and, you know, thanked them. And, you know, she was so nice. So, you know, flash forward five years and we've gone out uh, with the script to uh, Jessica Lang. And we went out to Kate Capshaw and neither of them even read the script. And I said to, to Steve and Steve and Irina, I said, we should go to Linda Hamilton because she'd be great for this. And I told them this story and they went out and she got back to us in 24 hours.
1: Oh, wow. Nice. And,
2: and, and the only thing she asked for, you know, instead of this list of demands, she just wanted a Canadian cell phone so she could call her kids. <laughs> and I, I, I just I just loved because she set the tone right away. I mean, you know, uh, it, you never know how it's going to go with a cast, but I mean, she showed up every morning, knew her, knew, knew her lines cold, was ready to work. And I think she just really, I think a lot of, you know, being not only the core of the movie as, as the star, but also I think she really helped create that ensemble that you're talking
1: absolutely. about. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. She was a, a full on team player. And I think that's the thing, I think, I think we even, uh, a few of us, we all kind of Talked about it. It's like, man, this is this is rare, like to be able to get this opportunity as an actor and on a film set, you know, and and all of us from Linda all the way down. I mean, we all were like, yeah, man, we acknowledged that, you know, and that just made us, you know, it made us want to go to work. It really made us want to go to work. So a big thank you to you guys for l- allowing us to shoot in that manner, you know. I mean, the summer stuff was, uh, I mean, the summer stuff. The winter outdoor winter stuff was hilarious because. <laughs> there we were completely inside the studio was great where it was all the house. Right. And it's fantastic because we had air conditioning so we could wear, you know, and, and wool wool uniforms, wool uniforms with the wool undershirts, you know, and the, and the wool, the wool long johns. I really wanted to feel what it was like, you know, especially I was like, I need to know what my dad and what Arturo went through. Like I need to know what they kind of, you know, with minus flying bullets, you know, whistling past my ears. But I mean, um, I just wanted to know what it was like to carry all that stuff, you know? And I think even with Rodney, we were like, we ditched the idea, but we were all thinking about like sucking on ice cubes (laughs) for the outdoors. like So you could see it at first. And then it was like, forget it. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, but I'll never forget because I mean, you guys, the crew, God bless the crew. I mean, they trucked in these ice cubes, the size of refrigerators and they were like, Putting it some through some grinder but it was august and it was like 90 <laughs> was like, degrees and we're sweating buckets and we're trying to stay cool all the makeup teams are like with ventilators around us and then in order to look like it was a blizzard i'll never forget this because that's w- when in the in the film that's when the, the three german soldiers arrive right and i'm looking for our guns and i go run outside yeah. right? i run outside after the kid yeah. young uh, 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 Fritz and, and I run, run out there and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget because I'm doing this intense scene you know I'm holding an a- I pull the kid behind me to, yeah. for, to keep him safe right and then I pull an axe to pretend like I'm holding a rifle <laughs> like I'm, so I'm holding this axe as a rifle and I'm like shouting at them in German like drop your weapons drop your weapons but we had these fake snowflakes flying in the air, which were like yeah. popcorn stuff. Yeah. I don't know what they were. They are like popcorn? It was
0: actually called Snowbiz. It was a biodegradable snowflake.
1: That's it. Well, <laughs> when I'm shouting at the guys to drop their, at the German soldiers to drop their weapons and holding this axe, one of those things found its way straight into my throat. <laughs> right in the middle of like, you know, you drop your weapons. <laughs> i couldn't speak and i hear rodney what happened i was like well freaking flakes went in my mouth i
2: i I watched the film the other day and the one thing that i always fixate on is one of those flakes like lands on the end of martin's submachine gun
0: and it's just like there (laughs) like it won't melt Well, we, we should talk about the other actors. Uh, uh, Romano obviously mentioned uh, Martin Neufeld who played uh, the the uh, German officer uh, whose name in the story is Lieutenant Leutnant Hans Klosterman. Uh, he commands two soldiers. His Sergeant Marcus Muller is played by Mark Antony Krupa who had such a great look. I mean, Mark Antony was just, <laughs> I mean, he was right out of a out of Guadalcanal Diary, that kind of gritty <laughs> <laughs> gritty soldier, although that's obviously the Pacific. I should have mentioned Battleground. And then um, they had the young, the young Private Heinrich, Private Peter Heinrich was played by Cassian Bob, who had the baby face. And uh, of course the third guy in your unit was Michael Elkin who played Herbie Ridgen who was the wounded soldier. Um, I think we had a really, really cool cast. Yeah,
1: everyone was definitely well, well cast and well. Like everyone played their part very, very well into a T. Again, I think it a lot of goes back to you know uh, being able to shoot in 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 uh, like a play. You know, it was in, in doing yeah. it in sequence. You know, uh, chronological order as it was written. So. But yeah, definitely, everybody was well cut for for uh, every like. Like I can't, I can't unsee anybody. Like I can't see anybody else playing the parts.
2: And and, yeah. and the, the 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 dynamic was definitely there. I mean, the, you know, like you and you and Al seemed like you'd been together, you know, through the war and and the dynamic between you and you and Martin and Alan Martin and Alan Mark. I mean, it was, it was just really it It felt very organic, you
1: know, I, yeah, I, I very, mean, very... the dialogue was just it was so well written, man. It was like the the words just like they you know, I was shocked that I was able to memorize fifteen lines for the audition because it just they it fit, you know what I mean they literally the yeah. words fit my mouth like it it came out, you know what I mean it was uh it, it was
2: uh, yeah, Ro- uh Roger can write the hell out of a thing. I mean, Roger, Roger's, Roger's outstanding when it comes to, uh, the
1: dialogue was just so perfect. It was pitch perfect, man. The dialogue was just so so pitch perfect to be able to, to like, you could believe 110% that these characters were saying these lines for the first time in their life, like what was coming out, you know, one of my favorite lines, you know, yeah, a whole lifetime planned before you guys invaded Germany, (laughs) uh, invaded, um, uh, (inaudible) you you know, know? it's a, it's a,
0: Beauty. Rory and I uh, know World War II films to a T. It's kind of our thing. So the, the the fact that we were going up to Montreal to make a World War II movie based on a real incident was just beyond thrilling for us. I mean, we walked on that soundstage where they were building the cabin and because we had an outdoor cabin, obviously the, mm. the, the false front was out, outside, but the, Full cabin was inside, and I have to say, even though this was a lower budget film, the craftsmanship that went into constructing that cabin, every detail was just just amazing for us. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: no,
0: definitely. Production
2: design and and the crew were just were just terrific. You
1: know, they're they're no, there's there's some serious serious. I mean, big shout out to them up there. they are some serious hardcore uh, crew designers and, builders carpenters you you name it i mean they're just top-notch people and they're and they're good people they're fun to work with too and they really you know uh i've, I've obviously i've shot plenty of times in montreal and the and the guy you know crews are like you know oh I saw your name on the on the on the call sheet you know i'm not doing a good french accent but you know they're <laughs> like yeah we're so happy to see you you know <laughs> they're real well, team I, players I, man i i think people really
2: um people invested in it, which was nice. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was just a job to anybody. People seemed to, um, yeah. I don't know. There was something about that, that people embraced the, um, embraced the, the project in a way that you don't always see, you know, for people who are behind it for a couple of weeks. One, one
0: of and those.
1: that leads to a, you know, to the Testament of the end result, the end product, you know, the film yeah. itself, it stands yeah. the test of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, I still get, you know, uh, people, Hey, you were in, silent night christmas movie right and i'm like yeah oh, we just saw it you know or i'll get emails or uh you know hey it's on you know it's playing we saw it last night and just <laughs> two days ago my uh my friend of mine who's a fine furniture builder uh, in, uh, out in connecticut he goes man we saw it he sent me a text he goes saw it with my wife and i was like yep that's mono that's what he calls <laughs> me he's going i'm telling my wife yep that's mono <laughs> I
0: hey was what are you going to say steve one of my favorite memories is Rory and I are outside with the uh, set decoration crew. We've rented a Sherman tank that is part of the set dressing. We have to sink it in some mud because it's been wrecked as the German soldiers are, are running by it. And I remember vividly telling the crew which way the tank should be placed so it looks like it's been properly wrecked. It was an angled an angled placement and I, I said, I mean, this is like boys with toys. I got a Sherman <laughs> tank here. My goodness.
2: I, I love that there was there was a local reenactment group um, who was who they they reached out to and they, and they were terrific as they, you know, they did they reenacted, you know, the German army during the war and they looked terrific. You know, they had all of the all of the squad signals and you know, the just the, the way they uh, the way they carried themselves in that in that brief scene with the tank, Steve. It just felt very natural, like like you believe, like you were watching a a squad of German soldiers in 1944.
0: We made some changes. I mean, we originally the film originally opened with a with bookends that had an opening where it's present day and we meet the Fritz Finken as an adult as he's taken his young, I guess, either grandson or great nephew. That was
2: that was that was supposed to be Jimmy's Jimmy's uh, grandson. Jimmy's grandson. He had come to visit
0: because he wanted to hear the story from Fritz. Right, exactly. And uh, we got a wonderful older actor named Michael Senelnikov to play old Fritz. And then I mentioned Jean Venuto, who was a just a nice looking young kid. And uh, they eventually scrapped that bookend idea. And that well,
2: it it's interesting because. Um, for 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 your listeners the film was shot as on what's called the canadian content deal meaning it had to be shot um it had to be shot in canada and most of the crew and everything um were were canadian they could only have one american one listed american producer so even though steve and i served as executive producers the only one that's actually in the end credits as an executive producer is steve hewitt because they very carefully control like you know what 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 benefit they're getting for their Canadian content deal, where Hallmark got a tax break? Um, but I think the—I um, um, forgot what I was saying. Oh no! So the um, the, the film shows—if you look at the version that appeared in the United States versus Canada, the Canadian version has the frame story with with uh book with with with, with, the, with the bookends, and the American version doesn't.
1: I have to I have to admit that I prefer without it without the book ends it just gets you right into the story right away yeah. it just it just punches and it just drives it does not quit it just keeps on going and I yeah. I, I, I prefer that I think it's a personal taste but I, I think it just uh it works stronger uh, and and it it actually also will work outside of the hallmark frame because yeah when you have those bookends it becomes more of a it feels more of a hallmark film yeah right whereas when it starts right off the bat with you know the the battle scene and then like right into it and it's yeah it just drives the story a lot stronger I, I i don't know if
2: you remember steve but i
1: don't
2: i i think i think the script was written without the frame story and i think they asked roger to write a frame story Ah, I, I
0: think you're right and I'll, it should be pointed out concerning credits when the film was shown in the US market and on, on home video we did get our proper credits. So we were listed as executive producers. One of the one of the moments that I was particularly happy about was, you know, a, as you know, early on, uh, there's a scene where Lieutenant Klosterman when he's first introduced to the Americans, he goes up to the uh, uh, um, You know, Alan, Elaine, who plays, of course, the American sergeant, uh, Sergeant Blank and offers to shake his hand and uh, blanks (laughs) wants nothing to do with shaking hands with any Germans and just blows them off. So I remember vividly one of the last shooting days. It may have been the last shooting day. We were out there in the snow and we were doing the outside where the team where the soldiers are saying goodbye to one another. And I I went up to uh, I think I talked to you about it. I talked to Irene about it and I went up to Rodney. I said, you know, something because it wasn't in the script. I said, I think uh, Blank should offer to shake hands with Klosterman. And it's just such a great little way of communicating the fact that these are human beings and they've gone through hell together. And indeed, uh, one of the final scenes is them shaking hands. And it's the frame is nicely framed because Linda is right above the handshake. Mm. As she's yep. observing it. It's just a really nice piece, and I, I love that. And then
2: that was such a great call on your part, Steve. You know, we'd all been living with this thing for months, and then you know, the, everybody missed that except you. And you're just looking at it and go, wait a minute. You know, we 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 set that up, but we haven't paid it off. And right. It really right. is one of the best moments in the film. And mm. and that reminds me of uh, you know we were talking about uh, you know the, the background of the film. Um, And when, and when Steve Hewitt called and we make this deal with Hallmark, you know, Hallmark's MO was just to write you a check. Thanks for the script, you know, well, you know, thanks. And that would be it. But I remember, you know, Steve, Steve and I um, are on the phone with, I think, uh, Michael from um, Muse. Yeah, from Muse. And I said, listen, I said, I know that that you know, Steve Rubin and I don't have the credits that you're going to let us go out and make this movie for you. I said, but I think we we you know we've we've been with this thing for for a year now, and I think we still bring something to the table. We want to be on set, so if you're not going to let us drive the car, we still want to be in the car and go along for the ride. And 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 to to the credit of Muse and Hallmark, they said yes, and not only that, but they actually threw in some money for our travel expenses, which which I thought was really gracious. You know, so.
1: Oh yeah! wow, I didn't yeah. know that part. I didn't know that yeah. Wow. wow. You guys, <laughs> yeah, you, they were you guys, like you guys had like, carried this thing from from inception. What the heck? That's yeah, what no, and just, most, that's and most of... people
2: don't get that opportunity. So I mean I thought it was very you know very genteel of them to like, yeah, we'll bring you guys up.
1: So yeah, yeah well, I mean, thank you, God you were there because the you had such you know, Rory, i mean, both of you obviously, but I mean Rory with your you know military background. Showing you know these uh, these really green. I mean, I <laughs> I fired weapons before, thanks to my dad because he was also hunted and yeah, you know. But uh, it was uh, you, you you showed us how to hold a gun, <laughs> and yeah. and you gave me the M1 Garand. You said no, you're the one yes. that's going to carry this one. <laughs> what
0: were we going to say, Steve? <laughs> no, I was going to ask you to share some of what you had to contribute in terms of making up the soldiers what they wear what they carried what were, what was you, did you have a little bit of a plan there
2: sure no well the 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 costume and the props department were outstanding i mean they were you know they were into it and stuff like that so a lot of it was i mean when i work as a military advisor i mean part of my part of my job is to translate what's what's in the manuals and what you see in the pictures and like what does that mean in real life like, how, how did the soldiers wear that? Why did they wear it the way they wore it? What was, you know, what was the purpose? What were the, what are the relationships like between a private like Rassi and, and, and a sergeant? Um, so, yeah, it, it was, it was a lot of the, it was a lot more of the intangibles than the tangibles. And one of the actors, this guy Romano, he was just like, hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to do this. Hey, and it was just like, basically, uh, you know, Rodney came over to me one day and said, Um, I need you to have a chat with Romano because he's like spinning off into infinity, you know, (laughs) he he saw a picture of like guys wearing jump pants and he says, Oh, they got these big pockets. And like, it's like, yeah, but if, but if, uh, you know, those are what paratroopers wore. And if one of them saw you in Paris on leave, he'd beat the hell out of you. (laughs) So so you didn't wear paratrooper stuff because that made them mad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You guys didn't let me get away with the fork though.
2: The fork was, the fork was a nice
1: touch, but But that was was, straight out of, uh, yeah, that was straight out of uh, one of the Stephen Ambrose uh, books that uh, uh, I got that uh, you told me to read and was a direct story to a soldier, uh, an American soldier that was, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, I remember he, he ran out of bullets and he was literally in hand-to-hand combat with a, a German soldier. And he was The German soldier also ran out of bullets and he was like, you know, but he had his bayonet and they got into a tussle trying to fight over this bayonet and he remembered that he had a fork in his boot (laughs) and he pulled out the fork and stabbed the enemy combatant right in the throat and killed him and survived and I was like, whoa. I said, I yeah I, I wanted to put I,
2: that in I wanted to put that in the sequel but we never we never got it made.
1: Right. But you know thanks to Rodney, <laughs> again also it was because I was like well I'm going to put it in my boot. I'm going to put a fork in my boot. I still have the sure. fork actually. It's downstairs in oh, the yeah? kitchen in the drawer. Well, I still have it but I put it in my boot and I said if even if we never see it yeah you know nice it'll touch. it'll it'll feed me, you know. And it actually to my surprise when I saw the film there when yeah. we're sleeping on the floor, there it is, because the camera's panning, it's dollying right across, and all of a sudden you see my boot going up the leg, and you see the fork. And off well, that,
2: I, I think one one of, you know, I mean, I appreciated how you dove into the role, and really wanted to, and, and and you know, every actor wants to, like, I want to create my character, and, and we all want the characters to be distinct, because that's a challenge with military films, is everybody kind of looks like. Right, um, right, but I I think we all agreed. I know Steve and I certainly talked about it. It was wanting it to not be paratroopers, not to be any elite forces. Like this is about your average, day in day out GI who was who was doing most of the fighting.
1: No, it was, and I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you got me to shut up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um...
1: Because it works so much. It works. It, it just really works, man.
0: We yeah. we should probably throw a nod to two other guys on the crew that I think did really good work. Uh, one was Eric Kayla, the cinematographer. Oh yes. Did oh, his yes. Beautiful work, and uh, James Gelf and the composer did a nice job mm-hmm. with the music, various motifs of Silent Night, and they were both nominated for Gemini Awards, the uh, Canadian Emmy Award for Television, along with director uh, Rodney. Gibbons and uh, the sound guy. Yeah. And uh, so I mean, we, we, were, we were nominated for four awards. I think that the general reaction of the movie was just wonderful. People really appreciated it. And as you point out, Rory, I think a lot of Hallmark movies fall into the, you know, kind of cookie cutter romantic uh, comedy realm. And this was something uh, very, very different and still plays on the channel, right? I mean, it's, and
2: it and it's out in, in other venues as well and it was it was interesting Steve because I was you know um I watched the film last week which was a nice reunion and then I was looking and if you look at um like it's it's a a, a 7.5 on imdb the rating you know and we're talking hundreds of ratings it's got I think 885 reviews or ratings on um on Amazon and it's like a 4.8 You know, so it's it's not only stood the test of time, but I mean, I think it's it's generally well regarded and well respected. You know, it's it's not it's not Band of Brothers. There was no 50 million dollar budget. It's not Saving Private Ryan. But for a for a, you know, a Christmas movie that has something to say about a a real episode in World War Two, I think it it has stood, stood the test of time.
1: And it's quite valuable. It's message I find is quite valuable in the current climate that we live in. I mean, it's just this you know, it's just like it really man, who would have thought twenty years later, you know what I mean, what what was down the what was down the pipe uh was kinda like holy moly, man. And if you look at the movie and you go, you know what? Yeah, hold on a second. Maybe if we do put our differences aside, so we can actually find a lot of things that we have in common. You know what I mean? And that's man, there's nothing ever wrong to say if something about that. You know what I mean? My father, I remember him saying, you know, not every German was a bad guy. You know, I said, pop, they were trying to kill you. He goes, yeah, but not everyone was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, so it was I, like, it's, but... it's pretty, uh, it's intense. You know I mean? Fundamentally, I think we, as human beings, we just kind of all want the same thing, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that positive message in the film, like really drives that. And, uh,
2: Ten years after we made the movie, I was in Afghanistan, and I was one of uh, about twenty Americans assigned to a base with uh, two thousand Germans. So I I, I appreciated the uh, you know the the, the irony. <laughs> it's like, no. Hey, you like Germans? Let's go. <laughs> Rory should have organized a screening. It would have been a hit. <laughs> I, I, I I actually wanted to. We couldn't quite work it out, but it was uh, but it was a good experience, you know.
0: <laughs> World World War Two movies still are still very, very topical and valid, especially in a world where people get up on freeway off ramps a mile from my house, and are supporting the work of Kanye West by saying he was right about the Jews and giving the Hitler salute. And the fact that some people in this country believe giving the Hitler salute is cool. We have to kind of remind these people that hello, the Nazis were bad. Hello.
1: Yeah, my father would have, I mean, he passed away, he would have been 97, he passed away 93 in 2019, and uh, he would have been completely, like, just if he would have seen, you know, the march in Charlottesville, he would have been like, what? You know, seeing swastika flags and stuff, you know, and he would have been like, like, don't they, don't they know what those people did?
2: Yeah.
1: And what they did to yeah. us? You know, to they my buddies? A more about this. It's 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 pretty trippy, man. It's really uh, it's, it's education.
0: To, you know. The key to is education. You've got to train people from when they're little. That you know, and these the people, the veterans are gone are on their way out, and it's important for us to continue the flag raising for the, our country, and particularly for the soldiers who sacrificed in World War II. That's you know, right. and in our case, I'm, in our movie, both sides. I mean, I think these were decent people who found themselves. In, in, a, in a very strange situation I emphasize to the listeners this was all based on fact this was not something we made up in Roger Elward's uh, computer this is actual fact that's why we went to Hawaii to get the rights from Fritz
1: mm.
0: and he was by the way Fritz Finken I don't know if we mentioned it was that he was thrilled at the the the, uh, the final you know the final well uh, oh, film yeah that was that was just great um, Well, this has been fabulous. I mean, you know, hopefully we can uh, do this again. Get another one. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, Rory and I have developed another World War II movie that's been sitting on the shelf for 20 years. But, you know, we have our project Cut Off, which uh, probably has uh, some good roles in there still for you, Ramona, because you still have that youthful look. You don't look look 20 years older.
1: I just got to – if I shave this goatee with those grays in there, you know, I could uh... (laughs) – I could gain maybe two more years, you know.
0: <laughs> well, I think as I recall in the script, which is a, another true story, it's about an American war correspondent based in Brussels uh, who finds himself not far from the Vinkens cabin in, in the, on, you the, know, on the border in the town of Spa. And a woman comes, he's a war correspondent for Yank magazine. And he, a woman comes out of a, a, a house and hands him two kids, six and eight years old, and says you got to get these guys out of, out of out of dodge because they're jews oh, so wow. um you know our lead guy our lead guy's name rory remember the name oh um no <laughs> <laughs> <He> escapes <laughs> us for the moment I, I wasn't
2: expecting there to be a quiz steve
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh but anyway he is now behind the german lines because they've surrounded the bulge as they did at Bastone, so basically uh he's behind enemy lines and the story of cut off is trying to get the kids out of the war zone and it's a great little story we're going to come back to that eventually uh, another great true story that has to be told well this gentleman this has been great i mean this is why i love doing this podcast because it gets us to remember great films not only that we love it but that we've been involved with and Romano, you will always be a hero in our hearts for your involvement in the
1: show. Right back back at you guys. You guys, you've, you you know, actors don't get too uh, often to be able to say, you know, or to do something that they can actually say, you know what, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of this one. You know, Um, it it doesn't happen too often. (laughs) is Romano, what I'm trying to Romano, say. Romano,
0: since we have the opportunity to tell the listeners about what you're up to at the moment, do you have anything coming out soon that we should know about?
1: Uh, well, there's a couple of things that are out there. Um, but, I, but before it escapes my mind, uh, I wanted to be able to uh, uh, do a little plug for uh, Silent Night. I, I believe it's playing on Sony's uh, platform Crackle for free. So you can, Silent Night can be watched there. Uh, if any of your listeners... Uh, christmas eve or uh, in the next couple of days uh if you're tired of watching the other jimmy you can now watch uh this jimmy you know <laughs> and so if you're tired of watching uh jimmy stewart every christmas you Everyone maybe want to give a silent night a view on sony's crackle and also i believe it's on amazon prime i believe i think Those that's where my friends saw it on amazon prime so it's also playing there um but i have uh <clears throat> I have a film that's, uh, called Clive Boomer's success. That's, uh, I guess it's still in editing. It should be coming out. And then, uh, a film that I did, uh, about a, uh, an Iraqi, uh, Afghani, uh, war vet, um, called Northern shade. That's doing the festival circuit and it's been getting some, uh, some accolades, uh, around. And I, uh, I got to play, I guess I'm the, I'm the heavy, I'm the bad guy of the movie. Uh, and it's a role that i you know i i, I was like okay i have never played anything like this i think i should give this a try and uh basically i play a uh, a white supremacist uh in charge of a militia group that is getting ready to uh, attack a uh, capital <laughs> not the not the oh. not the country's capital but a state capital we filmed in connecticut okay. it's not really doesn't right. really specify as to which one but uh yeah. And that was a, a character that, that was film? pretty, what's the name? It's called Northern shade Northern Shade, and that's well, running about doing uh it's doing the festival circuit. Uh, hmm. I was in LA at the downtown film festival. It's uh it's won a few awards. Jesse Gavin, the lead actor uh, has won some awards too. And, and uh, the film has won awards uh, at certain festivals. And,
0: um, well that kind of reminds me a little bit of Rory's film because, uh, Although it's not about white supremacism, it is about uh, some interesting characters in that realm. Rory, why don't you tell us a little bit about your yeah. short film?
2: Oh, it's, um, I, uh, I, since once the pandemic started, I decided to go back to graduate school on the GI Bill. So I am taking a uh, getting an MFA in film at Stony Brook University. Yay! And I had to direct a, uh, I had to direct a short film in my second year. And I wrote a short script called The Fifth of January which is about a young woman who goes to visit her father on the 5th of January and finds him packing to go to the Stop the Steel rally in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, the now, now infamous January 6th um, mm. rally. Um, and it's it's about the conversation they have. And and when I was getting ready to shoot, I said, I, I know a guy who could play this part. And I gave uh, our old friend Romano a call, and of course he was happy to come down and, and we had a nice reunion and uh i'm getting ready to send that out to tribeca and other festivals and see if i can get anybody to uh screen it
1: right on yeah and yeah, that was a, i think ever since i grew a beard i was like i'm getting all these like right wing <laughs> 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 i'm like oh, pop would have been really proud <laughs> That's why Steve's but, always clean shaven, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, I you, know, you know, face look, face. I'm, not, I'm not pointing fingers and saying that people are bad, you know, everyone's bad. Um, there's good people. There's just people that are misinformed, you know? It's, and sure. people, and I and I can't make a, you know, I'll never forget Stella Adler uh, at the Stella Adler uh, Conservatory in New York City. It was a three-year uh, theater program that I was in. And she was like, you have no right to judge your character. I don't care if, and she was like, you know, coming from the Adler family Yiddish Jewish you know yeah royalty basically you know and she was like I don't care even if you have to play Hitler you can't judge him and I was like but you're Yiddish <laughs> you know and she's like she's like it's, doesn't it's matter it's ironic you, know? you
0: should say that because her brother Luther did play Hitler oh wow yeah. you know so there, there you, go. Go. <laughs> there now, you it, go
1: it was uh yeah so that's that's the thing you can't if you bring them from a human place you know you can really Get to explore more, I guess, of the character and and dig deeper, and then also it, it just throws a curveball for some people because they're like going, wait a minute, I'm, we're not supposed to like you. How come we're liking you? Like it's this is not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It it does that on, to to the audience, which is a could be a, an interesting thing. Yeah. You
2: know? Well, I, I and I think you play misinformed as well as anyone in the business, Romano. So I think that's you know, <laughs> I think that's your superpower. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right on that note, since our yeah. show, our, our show that, is- that,
1: That's the Rory, that, that, <laughs> that wry sensing humor of his, yes. man. Do it's not changed. ever change, Rory, do not I, ever change. I,
0: I have to say this, because this is of course my most memorable moment from filming Silent Night was we wrapped the movie, Rory and I are driving back from the location to Montreal and we popped in a Frank Sinatra cassette and we played the tender trap Twenty-seven times in a row, <laughs> and we were singing it the whole way back to Montreal, and that was just uh, a yay, was... <laughs> right on. Right Da 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 da. <laughs> so, anyway, this show is uh, is is uh, for everybody who's listening. This is New Year's Eve weekend, so I can wish you both a very happy New Year, and happy 2023. New Year. Thank you. And uh, you've been listening to Saturday nights. Ugh. So I'll do that one more time you're listening to Saturday Night at the Movies I'm your host Steve Rubin our producer is Ben Shrewsbury and Romano Rory thank you so much for bringing up great memories and the shared camaraderie which will never die
1: absolutely thank, thank you, you brother and
0: Rory happy new year everyone